1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing chapter 12, Identifying Attachments, Cultivating Non-Clinging and Analysis of the Mind. I'm really glad that you've decided to join us today for our live stream and our online class session in Zoom because this chapter in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana is probably one of the shortest chapters in the book but is probably one of the most important chapters in the book. The chapter is actually designed to bring something to your attention that you need to cultivate, that you need to develop a certain ability and a certain skill. And I'm going to be discussing that today. And then we're going to actually be doing a group activity. So any of you that are currently watching this in... Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or Periscope, I would like to invite you to actually come into our Zoom virtual classroom so that you can actually interact today when we do our group activity. I know that normally you may watch through Facebook or YouTube or one of these other live streaming apps, But if you're able to come into Zoom, it would actually be really beneficial for you because we're going to be developing a skill that is probably the most second important skill that there is on this path to enlightenment with meditation being the primary skill that we need to develop on this path to enlightenment. The second most important skill is what we're going to be discussing today, which is identifying attachments, cultivating non-clinging, and analysis of the mind. So first I'm going to be sharing with you some content to help you understand what it is that I'm talking about here and what I shared in this chapter 12. And then I will introduce this group activity for you so that we can participate and have a really interactive class session today. So once again, thank you for joining. I'm really glad that you're here. And as we get going, if you have any questions, you're welcome to post those in Facebook or YouTube or in our comment section of our Zoom classroom. And then of course, the Zoom folks, you can raise your hand electronically so that you can then ask your question directly or participate during our group activity today. So let's go ahead and get started. What we're talking about here in terms of identifying attachments and cultivating non-clinging or analysis of the mind, we need to first understand what is an attachment or the other way this is referred to is craving, desire, attachment. Some people even refer to this as holding or grasping. What this is, is it's a mental longing with a strong eagerness. There's this outward searching of the mind for satisfaction, comfort, and pleasure. The mind has this longing, this lurching, this yearning. It's looking external for some kind of pleasure. Maybe the mind is wanting a certain book. Maybe you want to order a book, or you want to order a certain item off the internet, or you want to go to the store, or you're in your house during COVID time and you have this yearning and this desire to go outside. And because of this strong eagerness of longing for something like going outside, the mind causes itself to be discontent because the mind is outwardly searching for satisfaction, comfort, or pleasure. And in the example of COVID, When everybody started to quarantine, there was a period of time there for about three weeks or a month or six weeks where there was a lot of people who were discontent in the world because all of a sudden this activity that their mind got used to craving this permanence to go outside so frequently. Now, when the mind was told that it needed to stay inside, the mind was displeased with this because it had this certain satisfaction and comfort and pleasure for going outside. And now that it was no longer able to do this, this longing and strong eagerness was not able to be fulfilled. So therefore, a lot of people became sad, bored, lonely, upset, frustrated, irritated. This is one of the reasons why people turn to suicide during the time of COVID. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol during the COVID time frame, because they're trying to get rid of that boredom and loneliness. This is also one of the reasons why we're going to see a whole lot of babies coming in about another three or four months, because during the time of COVID, a lot of people were locked inside with their life partners, and they were escaping that boredom and loneliness with sexual activity. And... Because of that, there's gonna be a lot of pregnancies. So that's going to be coming up. A real explosion of our population is gonna be coming in probably another three, four, six months time frame. So what the mind does when it can't get satisfaction is it will become discontent. But if there's this one satisfaction that it's looking for, for example, going outside, and it can't fulfill that, then it's gonna look for something else in order to satisfy its desire to satisfy this yearning and craving and here in thailand they even have places that because people couldn't fly in airplanes and they couldn't fly around there's actually people who have bought old airplanes they've reconditioned them and turned them into restaurants so that people can actually go to a physical place sit like they're sitting on an airplane and eat dinner or drink coffee and experience this yearning, this craving, this longing that they've had for flying in airplanes because they're so used to flying in airplanes and they can no longer do that during the real deep COVID time. So they went out to these restaurants where people purchased these airplanes and reconditioned them, keeping them on the ground but setting it up very much like it's a airplane in the air, even putting artwork outside the airplane windows to make it look like it's flying, but in fact, it was on the ground. So people go to great lengths to fulfill their craving-desire attachments, and when you can't get them, the mind becomes discontent. So this is the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered about the mind is attachment, clinging, craving, desire. It's also can be described as wants or expectations, because the mind will want something very strongly, or it'll have a certain expectation of a certain outcome. And if that expectation isn't met, then the mind will become angered or sad or frustrated or lonely, or bored, or irritated, or annoyed, or some other discontent feeling. So this is the primary problem discovered by Gautama Buddha. It's the first of the three poisons, or the three unwholesome roots, the three fires. Those are the ways that we describe these aspects of the mind, these kind of high-level problems that Gautama Buddha discovered, which is craving anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion. I also refer to that last one of ignorance or delusion as unknowing of true reality. He describes this problem of craving in his discussion of the Four Noble Truths because in the Four Noble Truths, his very first discourse, he explains the cause of the discontent mind. He explains that we cause our own discontentedness, and this is why he made it his first discourse, because prior to him discovering this wisdom, there were people around in his kingdom and in the area that he was practicing and learning in, there were people that were doing all kinds of disparaging things to the body to harm the body, thinking that they needed to overcome this pain and this sensations in the body that were producing pain. They thought that they needed to overcome that physical pain. But in reality, what the Buddha discovered is it's actually the mental discontentedness that needs to be overcome because we're causing this mental discontentedness ourselves. So in the Four Noble Truths, he very clearly lays out What the problem is, the cause of the problem, the solution or remedy to the problem, and the entire solution in four simple statements. As you dig into Gautama Buddha's teachings more deeply, he explains the remedy in general, that the remedy to craving, desire, attachment in general is breathing mindfulness meditation and to practice generosity. Through learning and deepening and practicing breathing mindfulness meditation, you will essentially start to knock down the mind's tendency to look external and have this outward searching for satisfaction, comfort, and pleasure. And through practicing generosity, you will also kind of knock that down where the mind will learn to let go and not crave and hold on to permanence. So in general... What we're doing as practitioners is we're gradually training the mind over time through breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity in daily life to gradually work at resolving and eliminating this craving-desire attachment. And because it's the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered, breathing mindfulness meditation is the primary practice that we're using on a daily basis, either once, twice, or three times a day in order to train the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And you should be practicing generosity in your daily life, whether it's sharing some potato chips or sharing some food or sharing a little bit of your resources or sharing your time and effort to help a neighbor or help a friend or just listen to a friend and participate in helping them through a problem, or anything that you can do to provide generosity of your time, effort, energy, and resources, this is going to train the mind to let go. Just like in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're training the mind in breathing mindfulness meditation to let go of the past, the future, thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, and you're getting better and better at focusing on the breath, you're doing that in meditation, But outside of meditation and daily life, not only do you need to be practicing the Eightfold Path, but where you see opportunities, you need to be practicing generosity to train the mind to let go of this time, effort, energy, and resources so that you don't become selfish and maintain holding on to all of these resources and time, effort, and energy for yourself, but you look at ways of benefiting and helping others. Not only does craving cause discontentedness in the mind and is the primary problem that the Buddha discovered, so therefore we're working to eliminate it because it causes discontentedness, but it also is the fuel that causes rebirth. One of the major problems that the Buddha was trying to understand and that ultimately motivated him to leave the palace and actually go on this quest to attain enlightenment is he wanted to understand why people became so discontent during sickness, aging, and death. He observed these four observations of sickness, aging, and death, as well as an aesthetic or somebody who was searching for answers and understanding how to attain enlightenment. And when he observed these four things, of sickness, aging, and death, then ultimately the aesthetic lifestyle, those first three people were very discontent. People were very discontent when they were sick and they were ill or their family members were sick and ill. They were very discontent when there was aging and people were getting old and feeling aches and pains and they no longer had their youthful appearance or were able to move about the world in a very youthful way. And then when there was death, when a person knows that they're about to die or the fear of death, and then if somebody close to you actually dies, there's a significant amount of sorrow and despair during those three events in life. So Gautama Buddha was on this quest to understand that. And what he ultimately figured out is not only that craving, desire, attachment causes discontentedness, but he also discovered that this is what causes rebirth and brings us back into the world because the way to eliminate sickness, aging and death is to eliminate birth. If there is birth, there's going to be sickness, aging and death. There's no way around that. If there's a human existence or even an animal existence, there's always going to be sickness, aging and death. So one who's attained enlightenment will no longer be reborn And therefore, you will no longer experience sickness, aging, and death. The Buddha called this the deathless. Once one attains enlightenment, it's like you no longer experience death because you no longer experience birth. You're no longer reborn. So if there's craving at the time of death, if there's a longing, if there's an eagerness, if there's something in this world that the mind longs for, yearns for, has a strong eagerness for, then there's going to be rebirth. So if there's something that you have a desire to do in this world, like if you wanted to go to the Philippines and you just had this overwhelming urge and desire to go to the Philippines and your mind is discontent because you can't go there right now because of COVID, well, you have to eliminate that in order for you to eliminate the discontentedness, but you also need to eliminate that in order to eliminate rebirth. And there's two ways to eliminate a craving-desire attachment. One is to fulfill it. If you fulfill the craving-desire attachment, then you've basically extinguished it. So if you have this overwhelming urge, this yearning desire, this strong eagerness to go to the Philippines, And you actually travel there someday, experience it, and then you kind of cross it off your list and you say, okay, I've done this. I no longer have this craving to go to the Philippines because I understand it and I've been there before. So one way to eliminate craving, desire, attachment is to fulfill it. The other way is to identify the craving, desire, attachment and actively work to eliminate your attachment. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to identify these attachments and how to actively eliminate it okay so this is what craving desire attachment is it's this mental longing with a strong eagerness this outward searching for satisfaction comfort and pleasure it's the primary problem that Gautama buddha discovered it's one of the three poisons the three unwholesome roots the three fires He described this as the cause of all discontentedness in the Four Noble Truths. And we're using breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity over time in order to remedy or provide kind of a general solution to kind of knock down the mind's tendency to have this outward searching. But we need to take some active steps to eliminate some of these cravings. Some of these cravings, no matter how much you meditate no matter how much you practice generosity they're not going to be eliminated you have to take an active role in identifying them and then ultimately eliminating them and the reason why you would be interested to do this is because the more you eliminate your craving desire attachment the more peaceful calm serene and content the mind will become i.e enlightened and you will eliminate the cycle of rebirth where you're no longer reborn So it's highly beneficial for you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. A lot of times people think that it's the actual meditation that's creating the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, the enlightened mind. And this is why some people think that all you need to do in order to attain enlightenment is meditate. They think, you know, just meditate, 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 and you will get to enlightenment. This actually is not true. You need much more than meditation because it's not the actual meditation itself that is creating the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. What's actually creating that, what's actually creating the liberation of the mind is that you're eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. As long as there's craving, desire, attachment, as long as there's this yearning, this longing and strong eagerness to get something done, then the mind is kind of trapped. It's in a prison. It's in this constant cycle of trying to fulfill these craving, desires, attachments. And this is why your mind pulls in a certain direction and it wants certain things to be done a certain way. And because it's not going to get those things, then it becomes angered or frustrated or irritated. But when it does get those things, then it becomes happy, excited, and elated. So it's not the meditation itself that is actually creating this enlightened mind. It's actually the elimination of attachments, the elimination of this craving-desire attachments in general but also these specific ones that exist in the mind. So that's one of the reasons, and some of the primary reasons, why we need to actively look at this, identify these attachments, and then actively eliminate them in the mind. Are there any questions on anything that I've discussed so far?
2: Okay, so our first question is from Bill. Bill asks, in addition to breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity, would it be helpful to do a written inventory of our attachments and highlight one to work on as we start each day?
1: That certainly can help to sit down and think about them. But a lot of them you may not be able to consciously see. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to identify these attachments. But if you know that there are certain ones that you have for sure, like I know, Bill, you've shared before, you have an attachment to your mom. And a lot of people do, right? A lot of people have attachment to mom. That, that attachment is there for a reason. It serves good purpose for your mom to be attached to you and you to be attached to your mom. It serves good purpose. But it needs to be extinguished. And it can be extinguished and eliminated really early in life, six, eight years old. And it's important to understand that eliminating an attachment doesn't mean we eliminate the love. It doesn't mean we eliminate the care. It doesn't mean we eliminate the relationship because in fact, somebody who is in a relationship that is practicing non-attachment or non-craving, non-desire, non-attachment, you will actually be able to love and have a much more peaceful relationship with your mom or with anybody else practicing non-attachment. So if there's attachment in your relationship with mom, for example, there's going to be discontentedness. Because anytime there's attachment, anytime there's a craving, desire, attachment in either direction, there's always going to be discontentedness because this leads to anger, frustration, sadness, guilt, shame, fear, all this other stuff. So through eliminating the attachments, you actually will have a much better relationship and much better experiences in life because your mind's liberated. You can be peaceful with mom. So... Yeah, Bill, you know, I know that one's at the top of your list, mom. And if you know some others, yeah, write them down and know that you're actively working on them. That can bring that to your consciousness. But you're also going to experience other attachments that you're not aware of right now. And the way that you know that you have an attachment is whenever there's discontentedness, whenever you experience discontentedness, You have to look at the mind. This is the analysis of the mind part of this chapter that you're going through your life. You're just doing things on your daily basis. And then womb, you get hit with boredom or womb, you get hit with sadness or womb, you get hit with a bunch of happiness and excitement and elation. Look at the mind. What is it? What is that craving? What is the desire? What is the attachment? Because whenever there's discontentedness, there's always craving, desire, attachment. So if you're experiencing painful feelings, pleasant feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, there's always craving, desire, attachment there. So if you've got your list that you're consciously aware of now, but then in your daily life, some discontentedness arises, you can investigate and look at that and say, wow, what is that? That's part of identifying your attachments. So then you add that to your list so that you know. And if you're having trouble identifying your attachments, that's where your teacher comes in. And that's what I'm gonna help you guys learn today, how to identify your attachments. And then you'll learn a certain amount today, but then of course, you're going to need some help beyond just today. You can't just learn something once and then immediately understand it 100%. You're gonna need some help along the way. So we'll get that started today and then add to it as you progress in your practice. But yeah, if you guys would like to write them down, feel free, that's only gonna help you to have a little inventory of that.
2: As a follow-up, David, you mentioned there that the attachment to one's parents serves a purpose, but we need to eliminate it. In what sense can attachments serve a purpose, and is there such thing as a helpful attachment or a good attachment?
1: So there is no such thing as a good attachment or a helpful attachment but when a mother is pregnant there's a certain attachment that gets formed there and that serves kind of a good starting point for a relationship that the mother and oftentimes the father not always right there's not always an attachment there but it serves good purpose initially just to kind of get the mom taking care of the baby the baby looking to the mom for milk and care and learning and understanding And wisdom and training. So children are going to form attachments to their parents coming out of their womb because that's all they know in this life. That's the only thing. I mean, children come out of their mother with attachments, right? Because when a baby's born, have you ever heard a baby being born and laughing and having fun? When babies come out, what do they do? They're discontent, right? Why are they discontent? Because they were attached to that warm womb with all that wonderful warmth and all that fluid and all that free food. All they had to do is sit there in mom's stomach. It was dark, it was quiet. They got fed, they didn't have to do anything. They didn't even really have to move around much. It was like heaven on earth in that stomach. But as soon as they got out of that stomach, either through the vagina or through a C-section, right? Because all of us did that. Because we were attached. We were craving permanence. We wanted to be in mom's stomach. And when that attachment got eliminated by you got to get out of here, it's time for you to go, then that's where the mind becomes discontent and the baby's crying when they first come out i've never known of a baby to come out laughing although it might there might be one somewhere that did that the baby is going to be born with attachment that's what the human consciousness has that's the whole reason why it's being reborn none of us would have been reborn none of us would have been in this human existence had we extinguished craving in our previous lives None of us extinguished craving in our previous lives, and that's the whole reason why we're here right now. So because we didn't extinguish craving in our previous lives, we started out this life in the womb of our mother with craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. We started out with craving, hatred, and delusion. So it's not the fact that it's beneficial for the baby to have that craving at that moment, but it's just the fact that the baby's going to have the craving-desire attachment. For the mom, you know, carrying this child in her stomach for nine months, there's a certain emotional connection to that child that develops over the course of gestation in the stomach. And it helps the mom to get started with taking care of this child and ensuring it gets the care that it needs. But in all situations, that doesn't occur. There are some mothers who don't accept their child when it's born. And they have other cravings that pull them in other directions. And they actually reject the child. That isn't non-attachment when you're rejecting your child. That's not non-attachment. That is actually aversion if you're rejecting your child upon birth. But when it's born, when the child's born, the baby's going to automatically have craving. That's the whole reason why it's here. And the mom will typically have craving, but not always. And if a mom is learning and practicing these teachings prior to conception and prior to birth, if a mother is enlightened prior to birth, then she can bring the baby into the world and actually not be attached to it from the beginning. But it's pretty rare because in order to not have craving, desire, and attachment to be enlightened, they would have had to eliminate sensual desire and sexual contact, which is part of attaining enlightenment. The whole reason why they're pregnant is because they had sensual desire and they had sexual contact. So I'm sure somewhere along the line, there's probably a pregnant woman that has attained enlightenment and was enlightened prior to giving birth. But in this situation that I'm describing, the vast majority of women who are giving birth are going to have craving, desire, attachment. And that's kind of there. And it actually helps to facilitate this relationship between mother and child, which is very important for the sustaining of life and getting this life off the ground and moving forward. Okay, so the
2: craving in the part of a child is preconditioned, it's already there. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of survival mechanism for creating and maintaining its life. However, it doesn't necessarily need to hang on to that craving throughout life to continue survival, but it will have it as a condition of birth. And really, that is what will help it survive. But as it grows and matures uh, into an adult, it would eventually understand that this craving is not something that it, it needs. It's not good. It's not helpful. It got me here, but I don't actually need it anymore.
1: Right. If a child starts to learn these teachings at whatever point, six years old, 16, 26, 36, at some point, if they're introduced to these teachings and they learn that craving desire attachment is what's causing their discontent mind then they will eliminate it and let it go but conversely for anybody out there who's having a difficult relationship with their mom or their father or brother or sister anyone in your life the reason why is because of craving desire attachment that's one of the big reasons why relationships don't work in this world is because in either one or both directions there's craving, desire, attachment. Either your parents want a certain thing, expect a certain thing, they put all these expectations on you and they're craving to have you be a certain way and you don't like that and it doesn't feel comfortable then putting this pressure on you, or you have a craving, desire, attachment, a longing, a strong eagerness for your parents to be a certain way and they aren't like that and therefore it's causing you discontentedness. So. If you're having trouble in your relationship with your parents, or if your parents have died and you guys never got along, this is the reason why, because of craving, desire, attachment. So what you're gonna notice is when you eliminate these craving, desire, attachments through what I'm teaching you in this program and specifically today, you will see that your relationships both personally and professionally will blossom.
2: Thank you, David. We have a question from Javier. My question is, if the cycle of rebirth ends, then what?
1: Non-existence or a different
2: existence, or what?
1: So, Gautama Buddha never taught what is next. He never said that once he dies, there's non-existence. This is a common misunderstanding in the Buddhist culture and the Buddhist community. Most people will tell you that once you attain enlightenment and you die, then you don't exist any longer. But if you look in Gautama Buddha's teachings, and I put this in the book, I believe it's in chapter 19, I put the actual teachings from the Buddha there, where he explains that he left that as an undeclared teaching. And I have a suspicion of why that is. We can go into that if you like. But you need to get comfortable with not knowing what's next, right? Because In order to attain enlightenment, you have to bring the mind into the present moment. There can no longer be attachment or yearning for the past, and there can no longer be strong eagerness and yearning for the future. If your mind has that craving, desire, attachment, that longing, strong eagerness to know what's in the future, then you still have craving, desire, attachment. You can't attain enlightenment. So you have to get to the point where you don't know what's next, and you don't care. You don't care. Because the enlightened mind is so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, whatever you're experiencing in that enlightened mental state, who cares what's next? Because if there is something next, it's either going to be as good as what you're experiencing now in the enlightened mental state, or it's going to be better than what you're experiencing now. So, you have to get to the point where you eliminate the craving desire attachment to even know what's next. And we could speculate why the Buddha didn't teach us that, but the ultimate goal is for you to eliminate any craving desire attachment to what could potentially be next. We know if there's craving desire attachment, even craving desire and attachment to know what's next, you're going to be reborn. We know that, but What is next after enlightenment that's not being shared? We have a
2: question from Michael. What are your tips for identifying attachments and the things on the mind in the moment?
1: That's what we're going to get to as we continue in our class today.
2: Okay. Well, in that case, we have no more questions at the moment.
1: Okay. Let's continue forward. The number one goal on this path to enlightenment is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. Because this eliminates the discontent mind. For those of you guys that are going to be moving into the next program called the Pali Canon in English study group that we're going to be starting in January, you're going to be studying a lot of the Pali Canon and you're going to see Gautama Buddha using the word cessation. He talks about cessation. And what he's talking about is the elimination of discontentedness in the mind. Craving, desire, attachment, because it's the primary problem and it's what causes discontentedness. That is the primary goal. The number one goal in this practice is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment from the mind to eliminate the discontent mind. But in order to do that, you need to learn how to identify the craving, desire, attachment because how could you ever eliminate it if you can't identify it? Of course, there's other things on this path that you need in order to attain enlightenment. There's lots of other things that you need. But the primary aspect of this practice is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, right? So what today's class is about is learning how to identify attachments so that you can then eliminate them. So it's important that you learn this skill and this ability because meditation being the primary practice, that's an ongoing practice where you're eliminating certain qualities of mind and you're cultivating certain qualities of mind. That's an ongoing general practice to knock down craving, desire, attachment with breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity. We're knocking down hatred, anger, ill will with loving kindness meditation. We've been practicing loving kindness in daily life, but we're also eradicating that delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality through cultivating wisdom, through learning and practicing these teachings. So we've got these kind of three poisons covered, but there's a lot more to this than just that. So we need to dive into this aspect of this primary problem so that you can learn how to identify your attachments. Because next to meditation, this is the second most important skill that you could ever develop on this path. Breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to let go. It's training it to eliminate this attachments in a real general sense. Because if you're training the mind in breathing mindfulness meditation, with right mindfulness, then you can actively apply right effort outside of meditation to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. So what Bill was talking about, about sitting down and taking an inventory of your craving, desire, attachment, he would need a certain amount of mindfulness or awareness of mind in order to identify those attachments. And there's certain ones that he would be able to identify and you too, if you choose to do this, you would be able to sit down with awareness of mind and you would be able to identify certain attachments, but you're not going to get them all. So as you pluck away some of these attachments and you start reducing and eliminating them as you're going through life, there's going to be these other attachments cropping up these other craving desire attachments that you weren't aware of that are gonna cause discontentedness. So this is why as part of the Eightfold Path, through breathing mindfulness meditation, we're cultivating awareness of mind, which right mindfulness or awareness of mind is the seventh step on the Eightfold Path. You need that mindfulness. You need that awareness of mind so that in the moment when discontentedness arises, when you see the sadness, when you see the anger, frustration, irritation, when you see the happiness, excitement, elation, the boredom, loneliness, jealousy, resentment, shyness, you need to see that. You need to see those discontent feelings. And it's only right mindfulness that is gonna bring that to you. It's only awareness of mind. That's the way you're going to identify your attachments because the first thing that the mind's gonna clue into is the discontentedness. You're going to see that first. You're not going to see the attachment. You're just going to see the discontentedness, that you're sad, you're angry, you're bored, you're lonely, you're happy, you're excited, you're feeling guilt, but you might not know why right now. But when you dig into this, that discontentedness is the indicator. It's like the orange light on your car dashboard or the red light on your dashboard telling you, hey, we've got a problem here. You need to check something, the oil's going down, or you're about to run out of gas, or your transmission fluid is low, right? You don't really know the transmission fluid is low, you just see the light and you've actually got to get out and check to make sure that you've got transmission fluid. So discontentedness is that orange or yellow light that's flashing, sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fear, happiness, excitement, elation, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings are that light on the dashboard. Now, what you've got to do is you've got to identify what is the craving-desire attachment. And there might be more than one, especially early in practice. It's gonna be two, three, four, five attachments. And the higher the anger is, the higher the discontented, the higher the excitement is, the deeper the loneliness is, the more craving, desire attachments that you have. So if you're just feeling a little bit annoyed, it might be something kind of small. Ah, silly attachment. But if you're enraged, that means it's a really big one or there's multiple at play. So that discontentedness is the light flashing and it's telling you something's wrong, but you're only going to see that light if you've developed right mindfulness or awareness of mind in meditation. Then once you see with right mindfulness, awareness of mind, that you've got this discontentedness, now with awareness of mind, you look deeper To see what is the craving desire attachments that are causing this discontentedness. And you may need to step back. You may need to reflect on this. It may take you several hours or days for you to figure this out. You may need to reach out to your teacher and get help to see it if you're having trouble seeing it. But once you see what are the craving desire attachments, you've got wisdom now. You now know true reality of what caused this discontent mind, and that's where you apply right effort. Outside of meditation, you apply right effort. And even this mindfulness, this deep reflection that you sit back maybe in your living room or you sit back in your bedroom or somewhere and you just think about what is it that caused this anger. Or if you're in a car and you need to pull over on the side of the road and just think for a bit, Using that awareness of mind outside of meditation you cultivate awareness of mind in meditation but you use it outside of meditation in order to help you identify these craving desire attachments because once you do then you can apply right effort right effort is to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities so that's how you then start to work to actively eliminate these craving-desire attachments and start arising the wholesome qualities as you identify them with right mindfulness or awareness of mind. And then throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, you gradually chip away with right effort to eliminate the attachment and cultivate the wholesome qualities. It's not the snap of a finger. You can't eliminate most attachments with the snap of a finger. Because think about it, if you've ever been addicted to coffee or cigarettes or alcohol or some drug or something else, or you've had a shopping addiction or something like this, you weren't able to eliminate that, most likely, with the snap of a finger. Most people don't. Or if you have this burning desire to have your children do something in a certain way, you're not gonna eliminate that instantly. The further you get on the path and you cultivate your mind with breathing mindfulness meditation and you develop the ability to eliminate attachments, you will get better and better at eliminating them. But initially, it can take weeks, months, or even years to eliminate attachments. So that's why it's so important that you identify them and you're aware of them so you can actively work to eliminate them in daily life. Essentially, what we're talking about here is we're talking about that upper part of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. These three steps of the Eightfold Path culminate into beneficial results to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. We call this the mental discipline. The right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration is the mental discipline having the discipline to sit every day, once, twice, three times a day to meditate, breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, having that discipline, that mental discipline, eradicating complacency and stepping forward with mental discipline, using the energy of the mind to actively cultivate the mind through a dedicated purposeful training session using right concentration which is going to help you develop awareness of mind or right mindfulness so that then you can apply right effort actively work to eliminate unwholesome qualities and cultivate wholesome qualities even in meditation we call it right concentration but you're actually practicing all three of these steps in meditation itself And through elimination of craving, desire, attachment, that is actually what's creating the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, the enlightened mind. Because what enlightenment is, is it's the elimination of craving, anger, ignorance, realization of non-self, and the elimination of the ego. If you were going to describe enlightenment in a very short, compact sentence, enlightenment is the elimination of craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, realization of non-self, and the elimination of ego. So that's how you describe enlightenment. Now in chapter three, I go into much more detail about what enlightenment is, the advantages of enlightenment, and all these other aspects but that is the encapsulated description of enlightenment. Well, how do you get rid of this craving, desire, attachment? It's through training the mind, developing this mental discipline, not only in meditation, but then outside of meditation, ensuring that you're practicing right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration all the time. So that as discontentedness arises, then you can actively look at that as the yellow light or red light on your dashboard and now reflect and look at what is it that caused this do we have any questions on this
2: not a question as that's just a comment from Rhonda saying that the dashboard analogy was really helpful and i agree and it's like anytime there's any discontentedness at all that is our cue to reflect on what it is we've done what we're attached to that is causing it. And I feel like over time this can happen in a much, much more subtle way, to the point where even the slightest little discontentness in the mind could be caused just by another thought that you had. Not even necessarily something that you said or did, but just a little thought that results in this discontentedness. And is it fair to say, David, that the path is in some ways about noticing this with a more and more fineness, the point where the moment it comes up, you can just notice it, see it, apply effort, let it go and see what perhaps you did prior to that to actually cause it to come up in the first place.
1: Yeah, there's like this spectrum of application of these teachings. You know, when everybody was going around life, had no idea of the Buddha, no idea of his teachings, unenlightened going around being angry upset frustrated happy excited bored lonely we just thought it was everyone else's fault and we just walked around blaming everyone else for our discontent mind well then at some point you guys decided to start pursuing something different and you looked at the buddhist teachings and when you first learned the four noble truths and you're like whoa i'm actually the one causing this wow i can kind of see that and if you don't see that then hopefully you will today wow, I'm actually causing this discontent mind. Well, then the next time you get angry or frustrated, you're still gonna get angry and frustrated because just because you know you're causing your discontent mind and you were introduced to the Four Noble Truths, you can't snap your fingers and start implementing this stuff right away. It takes time, it's gradual training. So you will still get angry, you'll still get frustrated, you're still gonna get excited and bored and lonely and all these other things. And you might not realize it until you're deep in an argument. And then, oh yeah, that's right. I'm studying this Buddhism stuff. I'm causing this myself. And then you might start feeling guilty that, wow, I'm not practicing these teachings the way that I thought I could. And I've been in that program for four months and gosh, my mind, I'm still angry, right? And you might start feeling guilty because you didn't get to this perfection that the mind desires in just four months. So what happens is, As you start seeing these teachings more and more clearly, that unknowing of true reality starts to dissolve more and more and more, and you catch it sooner and sooner and sooner. And that's what today's class is about, is helping you identify it sooner and sooner and sooner so that either shortly after you get upset, you can immediately identify it, or while you're actually getting upset, you can identify it and let it go, Or like in Bill's case, if you take an inventory, knowing that you have a certain attachment to say mom, for example, and the last time you talked to her, you got into an argument over politics or something, then now you're getting ready to call her. You can kind of prepare the mind and you can kind of be proactive at it. And you can say, you know what? I know I got this craving to mom. We usually talk about politics and I get discontent and she gets discontent let me just kind of not go there today. Or if she decides she wants to talk about it, let me try to change the subject. And you can kind of preempt a lot of this if you get ahead of it the way that Bill's talking about. So the more that you identify these attachments, you can really kind of get this spectrum of when you notice what these attachments are to come really into focus and you can get a better and better handle on this And you can cut this down before you actually get into a conversation or while you're in a conversation you can cut it down and that's where it becomes very beneficial because the more you cut this down and the more you knock it down eventually when there is no more craving desire attachment there's no more discontentedness that arises but the only way that you get to that is you have to do this intellectual learning you don't realize it until three hours later after the argument oh yeah, I'm here trying to blame my friend or blame my husband or kids. And wow, it is me. I see it now. I see what David was talking about. I see what the Buddha was talking about. Yeah, it is me. So you got to back that up and get better and better and better at identifying this, seeing more and more of true reality, knocking down that craving, desire, attachment, because as you knock down that craving, desire, attachment, you'll get to the point where you're not attached to anything. And that's liberation. That's where the mind's completely liberated because it no longer has any craving, desire, attachments. So therefore, it never experiences discontentedness.
2: Thanks, David. One thing you mentioned there as well was guilt and not feeling guilty when we feel like we haven't done things perfectly, which let's be honest, you know, perfection is a pretty high bar. Uh, so my question is, what is... What is the purpose of guilt? And how does it come about? And how can we apply this in dealing with guilt?
1: Guilt is the same thing. And this is the beauty of the Buddhist teachings, right? Sometimes people ask me, David, what's a meditation for sadness? What's the meditation for loneliness? What's the meditation to get rid of jealousy or shyness? What's the meditation to get rid of shame? Almost like it's like a pill. Like there's individual meditations to get rid of all these things. The beauty is, and the simplicity of the Buddhist teachings, is craving, desire, attachment is the primary problem, it's causing all your discontentedness. So the solution to remedy this is exactly the same. So whether you're experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, happiness, excitement, elation, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, the solution is all the same. Is eliminate craving, desire, attachment. So you don't have to go out and learn 20 different meditations or 50 different meditations. You only need to learn the two that I share, which is breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, because they take care of craving respectfully and they take care of hatred, anger, or ill will respectfully. The loving kindness meditation. The other two meditations that I teach are specialized meditations that not everyone needs. So when you address this craving, desire, attachment, you're addressing this whole stack, this whole host of discontentedness. And that's how the Buddha referred to it. He referred to it as this mass of discontentedness, this whole mass of discontentedness that you're essentially carrying on your shoulders because the mind is not liberated And when he talks about enlightenment, he talks about laying down the burden or laying down the stress. What you're laying down is you're laying down the burden of carrying this craving desire attachment because it's a heavy burden to carry when you put expectations on everyone else and you want everyone else to be a certain way and you have to go around and manage that and try to get everyone to do it your way. Man, is that stressful or when other people are putting expectations on you and you feel guilty that you're not fulfilling mom or dad's expectations, that's a heavy burden to carry. So when you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, that's liberation of the mind because now you're liberated that you're no longer attempting to follow everyone else's expectations because you see that as their craving, desire, attachment, and you don't buy into that because you're going to eliminate your craving desire attachments and you're going to be able to identify those clearer and clearer through this path. So why would you allow someone else's expectations to burden you if you've eliminated your own? So we feel guilty about any number of things in our life. And that guilt is discontentedness showing you that there's craving desire attachment. And the more you eliminate it from the mind, the more liberated you will feel because your mind is no longer pulling in a certain direction. And if other people are trying to put their craving, desire, attachments, their wants, or expectations on you, you're gonna be able to identify that and say, Nope, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. Maybe you don't say that to them outwardly, but inwardly, you're like, Oh, I see that attachment. I see you're just trying to force me to do something that you want me to do. No way am I doing what you want me to do, right? And in some cases in relationships where I see people trying to push and get their way, I will intentionally do just the opposite. Even if what they're suggesting for me to do in order to satisfy their craving and desire, even if I know like, okay, yeah, like they really want me to do this and that would be fine, but I'm also fine with this other solution too. I will oftentimes do just the opposite, just because I would like them to see that their craving, desire, attachment is causing their own discontentedness. And I would like them to eliminate their discontentedness, eliminating that craving, desire, attachment. Where if I just follow everything that this person's telling me, then they're just going to keep putting these expectations and wants on me. And even if it's, I'm comfortable either way doing anything. But by me satisfying their craving, desire, attachment, it's just going to be one more and one more and one more and one more, because that's the way the mind functions. The unenlightened mind will just keep adding more and more and more. This whole mass of discontentedness is caused by this whole mass of craving, desire, attachment that the unenlightened mind carries around.
2: Thank you, David. Uh, I might try that one once I've had a bit more
1: practice. Yeah, we can talk about that more that's kind of like a a skillful way to kind of like move past it and help somebody else without them even realizing that's what you're doing
2: to be used carefully and wisely i think maybe maybe not in all situations
1: right because if you don't do what somebody wants they're going to get discontent right like if your mom is like really pushing you pushing you pushing you to eat your eggs for example um not that that's ever happened but if it did happen if they were pushing you to do it and then you didn't do it, it your mom's going to get discontent so sometimes the solution is okay just eat my eggs like okay mom i'll eat my eggs no problem <laughs> i was going to eat them anyway so yeah, yeah. No well everyone else doesn't know this story so i, I wasn't exposing anything <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, all righty it looks like we have no questions at the moment
1: Okay. Well, I see a bunch of people joined us in Zoom. So if there's anyone in Facebook or YouTube right now, there's a Zoom login and password for you to come into Zoom because we're going to do a group activity that will be really helpful for you to learn how to identify your attachments and cultivate non-clinging through analysis of the mind. And you can still participate from Facebook and YouTube, but it's gonna be a little bit harder for you and you're not gonna get as much benefit. So if you're in Zoom, you'll get much more benefit out of this group activity that we're gonna do. So the group activity is just like I've helped you to develop this skill of meditation, I would like to help you learn how to identify craving-desire attachments. And we'll start that today And we're going to do that all week in part of the group learning program. But you're going to need help probably beyond today as well. And that's what you asking questions in the Facebook group, you asking questions in these online classes, you contacting me by private message, by you making personal appointments with me to discuss personal situations. I can help you see your craving, desire attachments more closely so you can identify them and ultimately eliminate them. So what we're going to do as part of this group activity is I would like all of you to think about an example. And if it's recent one or one in the past, a situation where the mind became discontent. Think about a time when you experienced discontentedness. And I would like you to share what that situation was. What do you feel caused the discontentedness? And what do you feel the craving, desire attachments were that caused it? And if you're not seeing the craving, desire attachments, that's fine. You can say, Hey, David, I got really angry at my kids. They wouldn't do their homework. And it was all their fault because they wouldn't do their homework. And that's why I got angry. And if that's what you say, then I'm going to help you to see the craving, desire attachments, how you caused it yourself, that it wasn't your kids. But If you do see the craving-desire attachments, I would like you to share the ones that you see, because if there's other ones that you don't see, I will help you to identify those. So explain a recent situation. Just take a couple of minutes and explain it in as short a time frame as possible, just so we get the gist of what was transpiring when your mind experienced discontentedness and then say, what do you feel caused it? Was it your children? Was it the cold weather? Was it something on the news? Or what was the craving, desire attachments that caused the discontentedness? And in order to refresh your mind of what discontentedness is, I would just like to review what discontentedness is in case you are just joining us and you haven't been part of this program for very long. Discontentedness, there's three feelings, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Painful feelings are things like sadness, depression, anger, hatred, ill will, guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, stress. Things like this are very painful in the mind, and that is a discontent mind. This is why a lot of people describe the Buddhist teachings as the elimination of suffering, right? Because of these painful feelings. But what the Buddha was talking about eliminating is much more than just painful feelings. He was also talking about eliminating pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, elation, because these pleasant feelings are based on some condition, the outward searching of the mind. Wow, I got this package today. I'm so excited. I got a package in the mail. Yay, I got a package, right? There's some condition that caused... The mind to be excited and elated. And if you allow that mind to do that, then when you don't get packages, or the package is late and it doesn't come when you expect, you're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be frustrated. And this is why what the Buddhists discussed to eliminate isn't suffering. Because when you're happy, excited, and elated, you wouldn't say you were suffering. But the mind is discontent because you've experienced times where you've been happy or excited or elated and maybe you trip and fell or you cut yourself by accident or you rip a piece of clothing or you said something to somebody in an excited state that you would have preferred not to say and it damaged your relationship or you got so excited and then you crashed afterwards into sadness or loneliness or something else. So when you attain enlightenment, There is a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. There's lots of joy in the enlightened mental state. Some people will even describe enlightenment as happiness, but happiness is temporary. So our goal is not to be happy in this life or not to be excited or elated. Our goal is to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. There's plenty of fun and enjoyment in having an enlightened mind. In fact, it's much more joyful than the unenlightened mind. Because the unenlightened mind, you're still gonna experience sadness, depression, anger, frustration, loneliness, boredom. But when you have an enlightened mind, you no longer experience that. So the joy is quite joyful, right? So when you give your examples here in our group activity, If you would like to use a time when you are happy, excited, elated, so that we can see and identify the attachments there, use that one as well. Or the third one is neither painful nor pleasant. Now I put in here boredom, loneliness, melancholy, shyness, displeased, uncomfortable, and unsatisfied. Now some people say boredom and loneliness for them is quite painful. And if it is, that's fine. The categorization of where I put these feelings is not an exact science. There's some subjectivity here to what you are actually experiencing. So if boredom and loneliness are painful for you, then that's fine. You can consider it painful. But I consider it neither painful nor pleasant. It's kind of like that uncomfortable feeling where the the mind's just not satisfied. So Give an example of when your mind was experiencing either painful feelings pleasant feelings or neither painful nor pleasant and let's discuss it and use it as a case study so we can identify these attachments and then i'm going to help you understand how to eliminate them as part of a gradual practice to eliminate them so who would like to go first
2: so we have a comment from Rhonda. i think we should go with Rhonda's example first okay So Rhonda says, I get wicked angry when I work 12-hour days and have to pick up after my family. Sink full of dishes, clothes everywhere. I cause it because I am too attached to cleanliness and organization. Or I get confused and can't operate optimally in chaos or mess.
1: Okay, so she's seeing it, that she's got this craving-desire attachment, this longing, this strong eagerness, for things to be a certain way. When she walks into the house, and I used to have this one too, Rhonda, when you walk into the house, you expect things to be a certain way. You have this expectation. And when your expectations aren't met, the mind becomes discontent, especially when you're tired from work, right? Because that's when the mind is already run down, it's already tired, it's been working for 12 hours, the last thing the mind wants to do is come home and do some more work. So you're seeing that you're craving your expectation to have things a certain way is what's causing the mind to be discontent. What I encourage you to do, the next time you walk in, before you actually come home, prepare the mind that it's not gonna look the way that you expect it's not going to be the way you expect. The house is very rarely ever going to be the way you expect because expectations are that craving, desire, attachment, that longing with a strong eagerness, and the mind expects and wants that. It really wants it, it yearns for it. So prepare your mind before you ever go in the house that it's not going to look the way that you expect. So just get rid of your expectations and just accept whatever is there when you walk in. Just be satisfied with what is. And then when you walk in, if normally you would go to the sink and start washing the dishes, don't do it. Just don't do it. Resist the urge. Because the mind is gonna have this longing and strong eagerness, it's gonna want things to be a certain way, and it can't be satisfied until things are the way that the mind wants. So the mind's gonna wanna go in there because it's not liberated. It's being controlled by this craving. It wants to go in there. It wants to clean up everything. It wants to tidy up everything. And then as soon as everything's tidied up, the mind says, ah, I can be comfortable now because things are the way that I want. So what you've got to do is prepare yourself before you go in. Things aren't going to be the way that I expect. And then when you go in, don't touch a thing. And it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. You're gonna feel your mind pulling in the direction of wanting to do those dishes. It's gonna want to do those dishes. Don't do it. Even if it means you sit at the TV or you go read a book or you go meditate or you go to sleep right away, don't touch the dishes. Just go about your day. Because if those dishes sit in there for another 10 hours or another 24 hours, it's not gonna hurt a thing. The only thing that's hurting is your mind. And you're causing it. You're causing those painful feelings. So you've got to train the mind. You're not going to get what you want. I know you want those dishes to be clean, but you're not going to get it. And just go about your day. Go about and do whatever you're going to do. Get your rest and don't do them. And if you leave them there long enough, eventually someone else in the house is going to need to do them. That's what you ultimately need to get to, is get to the point where people realize Rhonda's not the only one in the house that's going to wash dishes. And if the dishes need to sit there for three days or 10 days before that happens, maybe that's what you need to do to wake up everyone else. If other people aren't awake and they're not contributing and you would like to see them contribute, maybe you need to speak to other people in the house. Maybe you need to ask them if they could do the dishes and then just don't do them. So that's going to train your mind to not crave, desire, and expect or be attached to wanting the dishes clean. And it's going to train the other people in your household that they need to contribute to this effort and activity as well. And that's what's going to create more peacefulness in the mind because you're going to be liberated from this yearning desire, this longing and strong eagerness to have things done a certain way. Okay,
2: next up we have Javier. He says... As soon as Max raised my last question, embarrassment arose as if I was asking a dumb or out of place question.
1: Yeah, so there, Javier, that is maybe your ego, right? There's a certain amount of ego there that wants to be seen or perceived a certain way because your question was a great question. I've had that question come up a lot of times, and it's one that a lot of people don't understand. So that's why I'm always glad when someone like you actually asked that kind of question, because it gives me an opportunity to talk about things that a lot of people aren't familiar with. If people haven't actually read the true Dhamma, the Pali Canon, the true teachings of the Buddha, they're going to be misunderstanding. They're gonna have unknowing of true reality. And when you go into these Facebook groups or you go into different venues and communities of the Buddhist teachings, people will tell you, if you attain enlightenment, then there's non-existence. But when you read the Buddhist teachings and you see the Pali Canon, if you end up taking the program that we're going to be starting in January, you'll see in his own words. And in fact, you'll see it in in the book that I wrote because I put it in there because it's so important. He didn't say, he said, I leave this as an undeclared teaching. What happens after his life, he would said, I leave this as an undeclared teaching. So your question was wonderful right on, but your mind had a certain expectation or a certain desire, a certain longing with a strong eagerness to be perceived a certain way. And when the mind didn't get that, that's why it became discontent and you felt like this discontentedness that you described. So if I was you, I would always ask questions and never have an expectation of whether it gets answered in one way or another, because you might have perceived that I thought that it was a silly question. But actually, I love those kind of questions that the average Buddhist practitioner hasn't been aware of because the average practitioner hasn't read the Pali canon. The vast majority of the Buddhist world has never, ever looked at the Pali teachings, from the source text of the buddha so whenever someone asks me a question that helps to further explain what's in the pali canon i really love that kind of question so you've got to continue to ask questions never have an expectation of how you're going to be perceived this is the self in the ego that wants to be perceived in a certain way so you've got to just accept whatever is said is said and not expect people to reply to you in a certain way. Okay, I can see
3: Bill's hand is up, so let's
1: go to you next, Bill.
3: Hi, I, I belong to uh, one of the Rotary Clubs here, the Chiang Mai International Rotary Club, and um, we do a lot of service projects that help benefit. Our focuses on children's health, welfare, and safety, and education. So I've been a member of the, the club for about a year now, So I was at a local coffee shop last week and uh, one of our members who is uh, lined up to be the next president of our Rotary Club was there with one of his kids and uh, an au pair, I believe, a nanny, and he sat down across from me and uh, he he was waiting for his daughter uh, who was there uh, at a nearby facility to do ballet lessons. So we we had an opportunity to to get to know each other a little bit better in an informal setting. And and he shared that he loves his kids, but in general he doesn't like being around kids. And this is in the middle of uh, we're, we're doing, uh, we're going around Chiang Mai to all the municipal schools and we're doing a vision screening program. And I'm frequently paired up with him. I'm because I know the Thai numbers, he's he's pointing and I'm documenting, uh, you know, how many they get uh, and then giving them a rating. So basically what, what has happened is that, uh, you know, I was developing this relationship with this gentleman who is obviously a family man, he loves his kids, but then when he shared that, generally speaking, he doesn't like kids like he doesn't like really being at the school he's not comfortable it is afe- affected my the way I think about him uh, so I'm doing a lot of judging and that's causing me to be discontent like oh my gosh we're, we're ready in, in the, the rotary year goes from July 1st through June 30th um, so he will take over um, next year in 1st uh, of July. I find myself reflecting on that and I'm going, wow, you're really discontent over that. Just because he shared some personal information, uh, your mind is is doing a lot of judging and you don't really know his full history. That's sort of the gist of the situation where I received some new information about someone that sort of conflicts with What I previously thought about the person's character and now I'm projecting, is this person even fit (laughs) Mm -hmm. to hold the position? Um, So I would be quiet now and and, uh, let you respond. So thank you.
1: So would you say, Bill, that your mind has a certain expectation of somebody who participates in this vision clinic with children here in Thailand that they should enjoy being around kids? Yes. Yes, so that's the craving-desire attachment. my
3: mind, is a given. It's a given, especially that our project focuses on child welfare, safety, education, and health. And then, you know, in a moment of sharing, you know, Bill, I really don't like being around kids. <laughs> kind of blew my mind out of the water, so
1: to speak. So let me ask you this question. Out of all the volunteers, Do you think that every single volunteer is going to have care and love for children? That's permanence, right? Is that possible? No, okay, I see your lips moving. I think I lost your audio. Yeah, it's not possible, right? It's not possible.
3: To be be honest, I I think this is something that I'm gonna have to continually work on uh, every day, um, as as long as I'm a member and eliminate the expectation um,
1: You're right. you know I'm
3: also I'm also in a 12 step program and we talk about our level of serenity being in direct proportion to our expectations of other people and so my mind frequently becomes discontent if someone is not listening to something that I'm saying or they want to cut off you know the conversation short so yeah
1: but okay. My
3: expectations are here of other people, mm-hmm. situations, whatever it is.
1: So that's good. So see there you expose something else. So your mind's craving permanence that when I speak everybody should be able to permanently listen to me. Everyone should be able to listen to me. And anybody who participates in this children's program, everybody should love kids. So this is the mind craving permanence. And expecting a certain thing. But what you have to get to is you have to get to that loving kindness, right? That active goodwill towards all beings without judgment and that compassion, which is concern for others' misfortune. Because while you love kids, and it would be ideal if everyone who participated in this program that you're in loved kids, that would be ideal. But that's permanence. Right? So remember how I've talked about how the Buddhist teachings aren't necessarily about what's right or wrong. So would it be wonderful if everyone on that staff loved kids? Absolutely, it would be wonderful, right? It would be so joyful if everybody had this overwhelming abundance permeating love and kindness toward children that are on that staff that are doing the eye testing. That would be ideal. But remember, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about what's causing your mind to be discontent, which is craving this permanence that everyone should be a certain way. And what you've got to get to is realize that some people do certain things in life as a way to improve their practice. Now, I don't know that this is to be true, but just think about this guy doesn't like children so much. He doesn't enjoy being around children. Well, you know what? He's in the perfect place. He's in the perfect place to learn how to love children and to enjoy being around children. So let's not look down on him or judge him for not having that abundance of loving kindness and compassion for children right now. Let's help him. So when you're around him, you know, he's around children. And when you see him smile at a child or you see him do something kind to a child, Be like, oh, John, that was so wonderful how you high five that girl or how you hugged that boy or you spoke so gentle to that little child. I'm so pleased to see that you did that. So every once in a while, drop a little compliment to him that he actually did something wonderful with the child. This is how you help awaken another person skillfully is you compliment them and reward them for when you see them doing behaviors that you know are important like practicing loving kindness and compassion but even still that's still you fixing another person that's not going to fix your discontentedness because there's going to be another person who comes in and doesn't like children too so you've got to get to a point where you train your mind to not expect everyone to think about kids and love kids in the same way that you do so train your mind that not everyone's going to have that but then as kind of more of an advanced practice and a skillful way to help kind of awaken this person's mind, when you see him doing good, warm, wonderful things with children, you know, give him a high five, tell him good job, that a boy. And that's gonna help him feel like, oh, wow, I feel good. Like when I do good things for children, people will notice that and people give me compliments for that because then he's gonna have a tendency to do more of that. And he'll start to eradicate this, hatred, anger, and ill will that he has in his mind towards children. And he'll start eradicating this delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality that by talking unkind to people, that that's going to cause unwholesome results for him. So you can actually be a real help for him. But you have to eradicate your own craving, desire, attachment. That's where the real liberation is for you. But while you're in the process of doing that, you can also help somebody else as well. Car. Cop home. That's great. Thank you, Bill.
2: Okay, I can see James's hand is up, so let's go to you next, James.
4: I have a quick one. For anyone like myself who's an American or has an interest in American politics, it's the election season and um, all that going on. So um, oftentimes we can see political viewpoints or, or news or um, you know anything of that nature that or can lead us to feeling discontent, whether that's angry or discouraged or disappointed by what we see in the world and um but you know we have to view that as an attachment and that it is an attachment to a world that that we want to see that it's an attachment to the opinions of other people and to for others to see the world the way that we see it and you know just an attachment that there's going to be an outcome that you know is in alignment with what we feel like we um we desire. I feel like that's that's a timely one for, for myself and for um, people with an interest in politics to, to be thinking about right
1: now. Yeah, for sure. Politics are a big one, James. This is one of the reasons why the Buddha never discussed politics. He taught politicians, of course, because, you know, if you can imagine politicians without craving anger, ignorance, a self, or the ego wow, that would be a wonderful world to live in. But the thing is, is that people get very attached. They have this longing and strong eagerness on their political views for all the reasons that you mentioned, right? Wanting the world to be a certain way, wanting their person to win, wanting their policies to win out, this wanting, 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 and these expectations. And this is oftentimes why political discussions become very heated in communities. For lay people, lay people need to discuss politics. And the topic of politics itself isn't the problem, because there needs to be discussion about how are we going to run this country? How are we going to run this community? How are we going to run our county or our state? That is really healthy discussion to have. But it's when this craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego are involved that everything blows up and becomes unmanageable when people become highly discontent. So these things are very important that lay people have the ability and learn how to discuss politics in a very healthy and wholesome way. One of the things that the Buddha shared along these lines is he said we need to give up fretting about the world. Right? Fretting about the world because If the mind has this yearning, this desire, this craving, this longing, this strong eagerness for things to be a certain way in the world, that's never gonna get fulfilled. It doesn't mean that we stop working towards the goal of a better world, of a better country, of a better community to live in. We can still work towards that goal in a very peaceful, calm, serene and content way with joy where we're not attached to things being a certain way but we compromise and meet in the middle. But that takes a lot of work and effort for people to be able to do that. But if we constantly fret about the world and we want things to be a certain way, then like you said, we're attached to the world, we're attached to getting things a certain way, having certain expectations and certain outcomes of things to be done a certain way. So by letting all that go and realizing that, okay, I'm not going to fix this political world. All the things that go on in this world, I'm not going to fix them all. There's no way in my lifetime that I will fix all these problems. But if I fix this problem, if I fix the craving, anger, ignorance, the self, and the ego in this mind, liberate this mind, now I can be more successful in leading the community or encouraging people to pursue certain political goals that are going to be helpful for the community. But if the mind wants this in a political sense and it gets that, then the mind's going to want this and it's going to want this and it's going to want this. It's just that never ending craving that keeps escalating. So training the mind to not have that strong eagerness, that longing, that yearning, but pursuing political goals as objectives and interests then the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene and content working towards the goals of improving society and improving the world, but without this yearning, this longing and strong eagerness. And that's the way that you work towards it. If you know you've got craving, desire, attachment for things to be a certain way and political discussions are pretty heated for you, or when you watch the news and you see those things, then you've got to kind of slowly diminish that. And if you're going around people that speak politics You've got to prepare yourself. Is it the right time, right? Is what I'm saying truthful? Is it gentle? Is it beneficial? Is it with a mind of loving kindness? Is it blameless? So that way that you can have good, wholesome discussions and just take your time. Don't allow your emotions to get wrapped into it and just calmly, peacefully talk. And then even when someone else gets emotional and heated, just stay calm and relaxed and discuss the political situation if that's what you need to do. And then conversely, you know, not only do things not go our way and the mind becomes discontent with anger, sadness, or frustration, but also in a political environment, if your person gets elected, everybody can get happy, can get excited, you can get elated, right? And then three months, six months down the road, They realize that this person isn't the savior of the world. Their happiness wears off. Their excitement wears off. And now they start beating up on the new person who got elected. We thought he was going to solve or she was going to solve all of our problems. So we elected this person. And now, because the craving, desire, attachment led to the happiness, excitement, elation, six months, a year down the road, that wears off. And now everybody's beating up on the new person thinking it's the new person's fault that why everything in the country is going wrong, when in fact, it's everybody in the country doing things. It's not just this one person causing all the problems. It's the mind of individuals wanting things to be a certain way and not getting that. So even in a situation where you're not getting what you have an expectation or desire for, that causes sadness and anger. But when you do get a certain elected official that you're looking for certain policies or certain neighborhood things that are going on in your community you can't get happy excited elated because that's some condition that's going to ultimately lead to sadness anger frustration so you've got to maintain this middle where you actively pursue goals objectives and interests to improve the community and then when you meet those goals and objectives just maintain the middle and continue to work towards those goals one by one by one, and that's how to maintain this middle way with a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. Thank
4: you. I think that's also a great point that we're practicing not only for ourselves but for others, and when we we can, that's the best way to create a better world. You know, so I think that's definitely a timely timely advice right now.
1: Yeah, one of the things that can happen too, you know, if you're involved in a heated political discussion and you're nice and calm and relaxed and the other person's getting heated, you know, you might just want to use the Buddha's words and say, you know, Bob, you know, this probably isn't the right time for us to discuss this. I see it's getting a little bit heated. Let's just kind of pause this. You know, our friendship is too important to me to allow politics to degrade our friendship. Let's talk about this another time when we can be more calm and peaceful. You know, you can use some of the Buddha's words from those five factors of well-spoken speech or even say like, you know, Bob, I'd like to continue this conversation, but I feel like I can't speak gentle with you right now. And, you know, I, I know that in order for me to have a really good discussion with you, I need to speak gentle with you. And since I don't feel like I can do that, let's just postpone this conversation and bring it up another time. And their craving, if their craving is really strong, you might be like, no, we got to discuss this now. And, you know, how can we be friends if we don't discuss this and we can't end this conversation until we come to a resolution? That's their craving, pushing and pushing and pushing. It's never going to be satisfied. So you've got to kind of find a way to kind of ease out of the conversation gradually and just kind of show them that your friendship's too important to argue and bicker. There's no sense in arguing or debating or you know all of this hostility over any certain topic. Sure, let's discuss, let's talk, let's um, see where you agree or disagree. We can talk about that in a very calm way. A disagreement doesn't have to be discontentedness. This is one of the biggest things that we're missing in our society right now is people learning how to disagree politely and respectfully. That's huge. And the better that we get at that in our society, the more open discussions we can have with each other and we can share our difference of opinions. And even though I disagree with you and you disagree with me, ultimately in our peaceful, calm discussion, you might convince me that, hey, your idea is actually better. You know, if I'm not attached to my ideas and my views and we do this peacefully and calmly and respectfully, hey, Yeah, James, your idea is actually better, especially if there's no ego, right? Then, yeah, let's do your idea, James. I think that's a much better idea. Or I might convince you that your idea is better if we do it peacefully and calmly and there's no ego and there's not this holding on to political views. But as long as there's craving, desire, attachment, it's a fight to the end, right? It's a a fight to the death. And that's going to not promote a better community. That's just going to promote more hostility and selfish reasons of getting into politics, where if people discuss things more peacefully, then we can actually have better results in our community. Yeah, so we gotta stop this fretting about the world. There's too many problems in the world. We're not gonna solve them all in our lifetime. So why fret about the world, right? Whether we live or we die, this world's gonna go on without us. So why fret about the world? Just take care of your mind, liberate your mind, help the people around you. And what goes on with other people, that's what goes on with other people. All right, good sharing, guys.
2: Okay, let's go to Manal next. Manal has actually written a comment on Facebook, so I'll read that one out. Okay. This weekend has easily been one of the busiest weekends of this entire year because we put our house on the market. We basically placed our life on hold in the most recent two weeks, creating a show-ready residence. With every nook and cranny cleared up painted ready to get top dollar in offers we've had to stop cooking meals in the last five days too in order to reduce cleanup today marks the third day of going live with another full day of appointments at 7am this morning two hours before showing i hear my daughter in the kitchen cooking up a mighty storm she's got pots and pans and all types of vegetables and toppings going on every surface in the kitchen in utter disarray and instead of smelling like fresh cut flowers as it has been intentionally prepped the last two days we now have the pungent smell of peppers and other food (laughs) i was incredibly frustrated i addressed this in a very assertive and upset way i surprised myself that i let go of blamelessness but decided to overly focus on her intention i was very attached to the way my home would be shown In my thought process, I was thinking this directly impacts the folks coming through.
1: Yes. Manal, thank you for your very descriptive language. That was very helpful. So I think you see, right, that your mind was craving permanence. You had invested this time, effort, and energy to make sure this house is spotless. You've got all this appointments coming and you want things to be a certain way. So you want to sell this house, right? So there's Lots of cravings here, right? One is you want things to look a certain way, right? You are interested in your house looking a certain way. This is going to show a certain side of you, right? The ego wants to look a certain way for these people that are coming in, look and smell a certain way. You have a certain uh, attachment, desire perhaps for the money that you're selling this house and you're maybe moving to another house, and that has to be done in a certain time frame right? So there's craving to have the house look a certain way and be a certain way, but there's other attachments here too. Perhaps you have to look at this yourself of whether there is ego involved and kind of being perceived a certain way by these people, these strangers coming into your house that you don't know. And is there any kind of monetary craving, desire, attachment, this longing for having the house sold? And even a fourth one that you really want to go to this next house that you've decided to maybe purchase or the next stage of your life, whatever that is. So there could be multiple attachments in there, and that could be why there was such fierce rage. Remember, or not rage, but a lot of anger, or I talked about how earlier in class, the more emotion that comes out, the more attachments that usually exist. So it sounds like there's probably more than one craving, desire, attachment in there, And that's why there was a strong emotion. Again, it's not about what's right or wrong, right? Because you would have loved for everyone in your household to understand that you guys have been prepping this house and preparing it and needed to be things to be done in a certain way. That would have been ideal, but things are never going to be done in an ideal way. There's no such thing as perfect. Perfect only exists in the mind. And it's that expectation, that craving for permanence, wanting things to be done in a certain way, that when that impermanence came in, bada bing, bada boom, the unenlightened mind doesn't like that impermanence because it craves permanence. It has certain expectations, wants, cravings, desires, attachments, longing, and a strong eagerness. So you've got to train your mind that when you wake up and you realize that your daughter's in the kitchen. wow there's some impermanence let me calm down let me go talk to her let me be peaceful because being irate and angry at her isn't going to solve the problem you can actually solve the problem in a very peaceful calm serene way just walk in hey daughter wow looks like you're cooking some mighty delicious food here did you make anything for mom and dad because we're probably going to be hungry just joke with her right kind of play with her Oh, Okay, you didn't make anything for us. Well, not sure if you know, but in about two hours from now We've got some people coming to look at the house. Remember all that work. We've been doing the last few days That was preparing for that and guess what you just made a big mess. So Hope that you are comfortable eating your food because we're gonna have to clean this up, right? Do it with a smile on your face. Do it with joy, right? because the anger or hostility isn't going to produce wholesome results here. This is only going to produce unwholesome gamma for you, and it's going to be harder for you to make decisions. You might run around the house trying to hurriedly clean up. You might slip and fall and break something and make the situation worse. But by maintaining the joy, by maintaining the tranquility of mind, the peacefulness of mind, and kind of moving this situation in the direction that you need it to go, then you're gonna be more successful. Obviously, the situation isn't what you expected, but even though that permanent clean house isn't permanent, this messy house isn't permanent either. And the way to move it from a messy house to what you need in the next two hours is to calmly, peacefully, and joyfully talk with all the members that are involved in the family and now let's work together and move this obviously your daughter made a mistake she wasn't aware or something broke down somewhere but no need to make her feel guilty or shameful or anything like this because that's not going to help let's get people involved to take this situation that is messy because that's impermanent too we can clean that up, we can get it ready in two hours. But if we're all angry, if we're all frustrated, if we're all irritated with each other and yelling at each other, it's not gonna happen because we're all just gonna be angry and mean at each other. So let's keep the environment light, let's keep it peaceful, let's keep it calm, let's keep it joyful, and let's all move and work together to move this situation to a better condition so that we can greet our guests in two hours. So you're going to have to grab yourself when you feel yourself moving into the kitchen to get ready to maybe raise your voice at your daughter. You've got to put the brakes on that. Even if that means going into another room for five minutes or 10 minutes and gathering yourself before you go talk to your daughter, you got to catch it. You got to cut it off. You got to see that discontentedness. See that yellow light. See that orange light. See that red light on the dashboard that's popping up. And you got to say, hope. Put the brakes on, going in here and yelling at my daughter isn't the solution. Let me go over here, calm down a bit. And if that means you send your husband to go talk to her or you go calm down for a while before you go talk to her, then do that because it's not the right time to talk because maybe it's truthful. You're going to go in there and yeah, she's messy and she maybe didn't follow the plan that you guys set up, but is it going to be gentle? Is it going to be beneficial? Is it gonna be with a mind of loving kindness? And you've gotta make sure that you talk in that way. And when there's a time pressure on you, it's oftentimes a lot harder for you to practice these teachings. But by seeing that red light on the dashboard, that discontentedness, that anger that's arising, you can cut it off and more actively eliminate it, even if it means stepping to the side for a while before you go in and actually talk to your daughter. And then, you'll have more composure and you'll be more successful in your conversation.
2: Okay, thank you, Manal, for your example there. Next up is Deborah. Deborah says, I felt guilty, David, when you shared with me how milk was produced. I have been reflecting and this has caused me to be discontent. I'm not sure what my attachment is here.
1: Okay, thank you for being honest, Deborah. So just to give everyone background, I sent out a video. There was a video that I saw that was about the animal industry and about the harm that was being done to animals in order to provide us meat and milk and cheese and butter and all these animal products. And if you still ingest animal products, you know, you're know you experiencing certain results because of that. And we're experiencing certain results in the environment and in the world because of these decisions that we're making to use animal products in the world. So when I sent this out, there's a couple of pictures there that I guess some people have actually mentioned to me, even though I didn't create the video, there were some people who said that it disturbed them a little bit because of the harm that they saw in the video. And I imagine that's the reason why some of these things are being shown is to kind of raise to people's attention the real harm that we're doing. So Deborah is being very honest. She's like, hey, I don't know why, but I'm experiencing this discontentedness. I would suspect, and this is where you're going to have to reflect and investigate. I suspect that you have a certain craving, desire, this mental longing and strong eagerness to be a certain way and see the things done in the world in a certain way. You might feel guilty or shameful that you've contributed to this experience of animals being harmed in the world. And that your decisions led in my decisions in the past and other people's decisions have led directly to the harm of animals. But what you have to realize is that you can make that in the past. You don't have to continue to make those decisions. And your mind was unaware. It didn't have the wisdom. It was unknowing of true reality. And what this video did is it brought to your attention true reality, the real harm that's being done in the world and how these animal products are being used. And your mind might have a longing and strong eagerness for things not to be harmed in the world. And knowing that you contributed to that, that's kind of caused this guilt or shame. But you've got to let that go. You've got to let that go and realize that those decisions that you made are in the past. And it was based on not having the wisdom that you now have. And you can gradually move the mind in the direction of cleaning up that practice. So if you would like to eliminate milk, cheese or butter or meat or animal products from your life, you can choose to do that. And that will help to eliminate this discontentedness because now you know you're no longer contributing to that harm. And any decisions that you made in the past that did contribute to that harm, you've got to put it in the past and let it go and be in the past. Because I also used to use animal products in the past, but that's in the past. And I let that go that I just was unaware that I was causing that harm. But now I am aware. So it's not about what you've done in the past that's causing the guilt and shame. It's about what are you going to do right now? Now in this present moment that you're aware of how milk's produced, how cheese produced, how butter's produced, how this meat in our supermarkets and restaurants is being produced and causing harm in the world, what are you going to do at this point? And that's what really matters. And if your mind is still attached or having this longing and strong eagerness for meat and animal products, you're going to need to gradually move away from it. And it may take several months. You know, for me, it took me about two or three weeks to kind of cut out meat. And that was a pretty quick thing. But I definitely noticed a difference in the body and the mind when I did that. And then it took me kind of another four to six months to eliminate things like eggs and cheese and things like that, to eliminate that gradually out of my practice. But as I did, I noticed the benefits to the mind and to the body. I felt more light. I felt better mentally as well that I wasn't contributing to this harm and that's the wonderful thing about the Buddhist teachings is that you can see the truth for yourself. This meat that people eat and the animal products that we use, they're injected with hormones, drugs, toxins, other things like this when they're being farmed and being produced. And even if they're not being injected with that stuff, they're drinking the groundwater which is highly polluted with all kinds of toxins so when we eat or you choose to eat animal products those toxins are going into the body affecting the physical body and the mind and there's all kinds of sickness that comes about because of that so when you eliminate animal products from your life you will see that as you gradually eliminate those from your life over the period of about three to six months your body and your mind will improve because you're no longer ingesting those hormones, those toxins, those drugs that the animals have inside their flesh and inside the products that you're ingesting. So that would be my suggestion of how to eliminate this guilt and shame that maybe you're feeling because of the decisions you made in the past. If you are currently not eating animal products and you're feeling guilt and shame because you saw those images, That goes back to James's discussion that it's fretting about the world, wanting the world to be a certain way when they're not. Because I watched that same video a couple of times. It didn't cause any discontentedness to me. I just realized that this is the state of the world, that not everybody in the world understands the harm that they're causing. And therefore, there's going to be harm in the world during my lifetime, we're not going to eradicate the farming of animals, I'm pretty sure. There's still going to be farming of animals and ingesting of animal products by somebody on this earth for the rest of my life. So I can't wait until all the animals are safe and healthy before I get peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy if my mind is attached or yearning or fretting about the world, wanting the world to be a certain way, and until the world is that way, my mind's not gonna be peaceful, then my mind isn't liberated. So you've gotta eliminate this yearning and strong eagerness for the world to be a certain way and stop fretting about the world and just clean up your own practice. That's the only thing you have control over is your own decisions. So by you cleaning up your own practice, that can maintain your contentedness because you're no longer contributing to this problem. But recognize that there are gonna be other people who are going to continue to do that during your lifetime.
2: Okay, thank you, Deborah, Deborah for sharing that. Over to Messia now. Messiah says, I have a close friend that it's always late when we arrange to meet. I let it go and it does not worry me that much anymore, but I still feel it is disrespectful. I'm not the only one she does this to. So my question is, would it really be worth confronting and upsetting her or just be accepting from my side? I presume this is just my ego that causes me to feel disrespected.
1: So it can be your ego, but it's also the mind has been conditioned to believe that everyone needs to show up at exactly a certain time. Because if you have an appointment scheduled at 9 o'clock, everyone should be there at nine o'clock or earlier, right? That's the way your mind's been conditioned. It craves permanence. It wants a certain thing, it expects a certain thing. So if somebody comes at 9.15 or 9.10, you feel that this is disrespectful, that they're doing something against you. But it could just be that they were in traffic or it could be that they were helping their neighbor with their trash And they chose to do that because they knew you were a good friend and that you would be waiting for them. So that's something that you need to train your mind to recognize that everyone in your life isn't going to show up on time. That's not possible because that's permanence. So you need to train the mind to eliminate that craving, desire, attachment, that longing with a strong eagerness for everyone to show up at a certain time. And yes, If the ego is being affected, you need to eliminate that too if you think that they're doing something to you personally. So that's going to take care of your problem. But if you would like to help your friend, if they're consistently showing up late all the time, you could politely talk to her or him. But if the mind has anger or irritation, that's the wrong time to talk to them when they're actually late. You probably want to talk to them at some other time when they're not actually late because they're probably going to be defensive and feel like maybe you're blaming them. You might want to, instead of blame them or say, Hey, why don't you show up on time? You might want to just share with them. This is one of the skillful ways to do it. So say you're meeting them somewhere, right? And you show up at five minutes before or on time and you show up and you say, hi, Barbara, how are you? And she's like, Oh, I'm great. And I was like, You know i thought i was going to be late when i came to see you but i really wanted to respect you and respect your time so i left the house a little bit early and i'm really pleased that i got here on time to actually see you if i was going to show up like 10 or 15 minutes late i probably would have given you a call and let you know that i was coming late but i realized that i was going to be here on time and it it was so joyful because i didn't want you to just sit around and wait for me without Realizing what was going on. So, this is a way to like talk about yourself and show her how you respect her time and you're showing up on time. But don't do it with sarcasm because that's not the goal here. The goal here is kind of like to bring to her attention that it's a kind thing to show up on time. And if you're going to be late, to maybe call ahead and let the person know. But doing it like when she shows up late and you're like, hey, why are you late? Like, don't you want to show up on time? this is blameful and it's probably going to cause problems in your relationship. So you can talk to her and you can point it out because it's not only going to be helpful for you and her relationship, but it's going to be helpful for her professional relationships and her other relationships as well, because it might be causing problems there. But the real problem is not that this person is showing up late because that's going to happen. You're never going to be in a situation where everyone shows up on time. It's not going to be possible in this world because of impermanence. So the real problem is that your mind has this longing strong eagerness for everyone to show up on time. That's the real problem. You've got to solve that. But if you would like to help this person to kind of bring it to their attention, you can. You just got to find some kind of skillful ways to do that and talk with them without anger and hostility at a time that your mind can be calm and politely discuss it with them. And you can find umpteen number of ways to do that. There's always 10 million right answers of ways to kind of bring these things to the surface and help somebody improve their practice. But then even when you teach this to her, there's still times where she's gonna be late. Even she has an interest to be on time all the time and she makes an aspiration to do that, she's still gonna be late sometimes there's just no possible way. You wouldn't want her to bolt out the door, race down the street, get into an accident. Gosh, if, if you had a conversation with her and she died bolting to an appointment with you, wouldn't you feel pretty guilty about that? So you've got to realize that these expectations, if you're going to talk to her, you can't talk to her as it's an expectation of yours. And it's a condition of your friendship you got to show her that you love her unconditionally and you'll be a friend with her unconditionally, but she might choose to decide that it's a good idea to try to be a little bit more attentive to showing up to appointments on time and calling ahead if she's going to be late. That would be a good practice, but it's still not going to happen all the time. So that's why you've got to train your mind to eliminate that craving-desire attachment.
2: Okay, I'll go next, David. David, So. I noticed recently that I was allowing a bit too much of my focus to go on checking the markets and various investments. And the warning light on the dashboard for me was that I was actually starting to get headaches. And I haven't had headaches for a very, very long time since beginning to practice the teachings. And it's not necessarily obvious what's causing the headache, but on this occasion, I traced it back to having this tendency to keep checking the markets. And what i noticed was that i was checking it even when there was no decision to be made on it so like checking it and then making a decision okay that's one thing but checking it even though you know that whatever you see or i see i'm just going to not do anything with it it's just like oh that's nice just check it <laughs> why not and so the headache was the the warning light on the dashboard as it were and then i started to realize that it was the mind racing and beyond that point, I noticed that even my meditation wasn't quite as clear. And so, yeah, that's one thing I've noticed and making an effort to check it less frequently and only check it when there's really something to do and trying not to allow the mind to, to run off there. But I'd be interested to know your thoughts on what the attachments are because it's probably not just as simple as an attachment check in the markets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, that's my example.
1: Sure, so I'm really glad that you brought this one up because there's a lot of things to discuss here. But before we get into your specifics, I wanna share something that you alluded to that is really helpful, I think, for our community of practitioners here. The more you learn and practice these teachings and you bring the mind to the middle and it performs optimally, you'll notice that you won't get headaches anymore. So if you're inundated with headaches or you have migraine headaches and you're constantly taking medicine for this, I've mentioned this a long, long time ago, how if you're taking the medicine and you're not becoming aware of why the headache's coming, then you're just precipitating the problem. So the more you bring the mind to the middle and you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, and you practice the entire eight-fold path, you're going to realize that you don't get headaches anymore. And Max just mentioned he's already realized that over the last year, year and a half since he's been practicing. So as the mind performs more optimally, you won't be getting any more headaches. With that said, if you do get a headache and you need to take medicine, go ahead and take medicine, but don't do that without reflecting at the same time of why this headache has occurred, like what Max just discussed. When he got this headache, he knew something was off. So we oftentimes talk about discontentedness as emotions and feelings, But those emotions and feelings, that discontentedness, will oftentimes produce headaches and pain in the mind. And that's part of that indication. That's part of that dashboard flashing at you that something's wrong. We can get headaches because lacking sleep. We've made a decision not to get the right rest. We can get headaches because of certain substances that we put in the body either chemicals or alcohol or drugs or something like this. But we can also get headaches because of this craving-desire attachment. And Max constantly going to check the markets about a certain number and potentially seeing how that's affected his wealth or his income and things like this. That's a craving-desire attachment and it can produce headaches. So Max, you'll have to look at this yourself, but you have to look at is there any kind of financial issues that are precipitating this where you want to know, like, have I got enough money yet? Have I got enough money yet? Have I got enough money yet? Right, like there might be something like that that's going on there that if you've made a certain investment and you want to see if you've gotten to a certain amount of money and that's the real craving, the craving for a certain amount of monetary improvement in your investment and you're constantly checking that to see if you made a good investment and if you can actually cash out can also be partially ego maybe you want to feel that you've made a good decision and you want to feel a certain amount of pride or a certain amount of arrogance that wow look at me like i've made such a great investment and i'll tell my mom about that and i'll tell my friends about that and that means i'm going to get these great gifts or things that i would like to acquire in my life from this extra monetary wealth That's something you have to look at on your own. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but oftentimes markets and investments are all about monetary growth. And there's also sometimes a certain amount of ego involved there and a certain amount of the self that's involved looking for this monetary growth in your portfolio. And that's going to make the mind feel satisfied if it's gotten a certain amount of growth monetarily or wealth. So those are some things to kind of look at is the ego, the portfolio, the monetary wealth. You know, if you did get more improvement in the markets, what would you do with that information? What, what would you actually do? Now, the way that you need to eliminate this is, you know that this is a problem. So when you've made a certain investment and you've invested money and you've decided like, OK, I'm going to hold this investment for three months. And i'm not going to do anything with it for three months and maybe you need to check every week or every three days or whatever because if that condition happens maybe you divest or liquidate that asset prior to three months well if you feel your mind pulling like two three four times a day to check the markets or you know that even if you check it right now at this moment there's nothing that you're going to actually do with that information and you feel your mind pulling in that way that direction headed towards the computer, or headed towards the phone to check the markets, you need to shut it down. You need to apply right effort. Cut it off. You need to walk in a different direction. Just go outside if you need to. Go away from your phone. Go for a walk. And just know that you don't need this in your life. Because if you go check it, then that means you're going to check it again, and check it again, and check it again. You have to circumvent it. And if that means closing your laptop down, if it means turning off the power, if it means taking out the electric cord and going and putting it in a different room, if it means letting your phone's battery die and turning it off and you know putting your electric cord to make it really difficult for you to get to it so there's more steps involved for you to actually pull up the markets, then do that. It sounds silly, but sometimes you gotta do this, take a real aggressive approach and cut it down Because no one else is going to do it for you, right? Your mom's not going to come in and stop you. I'm not going to come stop you. No one else is going to come stop you. So you've got to put some safeguards in place that when you feel your mind pulling in that direction, if you don't have the control to just walk out the door and go somewhere else or just not check it, then putting some more decision time, some elongated decision by hiding your charger, by putting your phone in a different place, by moving your power cord somewhere else, these can all give you more time to kick in that control and have that mental discipline to apply right effort and circumvent and short circuit the mind from wanting to go check the markets. Yes, thank you, David,
2: that all resonates. And what you said there about if you check it once, you're just gonna check it again and again and again. Yeah, that sounds familiar. the greatest precursor to checking it is the fact you've already checked it five seconds ago <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so best just to cut it off and not allow that change to continue and um, I like the idea of putting in extra steps to make it that much more difficult going out and getting out of the house going for a walk seeing friends whatever it takes just to cut it off so yeah and another thing you said was uh, about what the craving is whether it's an attachment to making money and or a certain level of wealth. And something you said to me a long time ago came to mind, which was that financial security doesn't actually exist. Yeah. I think a lot of us have a craving for financial security, this idea of permanently achieving a level of financial stability that will never go away. And we see that actually at all levels that that's simply not true. And when we see billionaires who, you lose it all or are in the wrong industry we see mm-hmm. right now if you walk around any major city i'm sure certainly the case here in the uk half the shops are shut half the restaurants are shut mm-hmm. you know, very successful well-known brands chains just doing no business or minimal business barely to stay afloat so yeah that, that came to mind as well financial security is just an idea
1: yeah it's all impermanent everything in our life is impermanent So if something's going really good, you got to train yourself. This is impermanent. Don't get attached to it. It can fall apart in a heartbeat. And if something's going bad, don't get discontent about that because that's impermanent too. You can make wise decisions to improve that situation from bad to better and to best, right? So nothing is permanent other than the natural laws of existence, which is enlightenment as well.
2: Right, yes. Thank you, David all in permanent. now we do have a couple of questions about practice should i read those out now or should we get to those in a few moments or we'll save those for the daily wisdom group
1: yeah we can get to those but i thought what i would do since you guys shared so openly and you probably haven't asked me any of these questions recently but i thought i would share one from a long time ago that i had that i think you guys would probably enjoy hearing because you probably have this as well So a while ago, I don't know how many years ago, I realized one time when I was leaving out of the house, I was driving in the car. I was away from my house a few kilometers and I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot my phone. And I was like really apprehensive because I left my phone at home. That was my red light indicator that I'm attached to the phone, right? I felt like insecure because I didn't have a phone with me that if I needed to call somebody, if something happened to me, then I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a connection back to my wife or somebody else that could help me. And that red light was when I was driving down the road and I realized that I didn't have the phone, my mind became discontent and I started thinking about the phone. Well, once I realized this, what I did was the next several times that I left the house, I intentionally left the phone at home. That's the way I eliminated that attachment because I'd recognize that there was this attachment to the phone, this craving desire, this attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness that I felt like I needed to have some connection to somebody in the world should something happen to me in this car or while I'm outside. In the way that I eliminated it's it just left it at home intentionally several times until I realized That my mind can reside peaceful calm serene and content with joy whether i have the phone or whether i don't have the phone and now today there's still situations where i accidentally leave the phone at home but it's like no big deal i'll just go i'm outside already no reason to turn back now and hold you know go get the phone i'll be just fine i'm going to be gone for three or four hours and if i have a problem there's plenty of people that can let me use their phone in the world No need for me to fret or be discontent just because my phone is at home. So if you wanna test yourself on this one, leave your phone at home a few times and see how your mind feels when you go outside because this is one that a lot of people are attached to. And when you're outside, you might be checking Facebook, you might be updating your statuses, you might be messaging people all the time. A lot of people get attached to their phones. So you know what? Go on a walk around the park for three or four hours without your phone or go outside for a drive without your phone and see how the mind responds. Test it. Test the mind. Use awareness of mind, that right mindfulness, and see if any discontentedness arises just because you left your phone at home. This is one of the ways you can test your mind. If you're not sure if you're attached to something or not, do like that, leave it at home and see how the mind responds. And with mindfulness, check to see how you feel. Are you uncomfortable at all not having the phone? So that's one that you guys can try at home and test and see how you feel so that you can eliminate that one. So let's go to the other questions that you got there, Max.
2: So this is a good lead into to a question from Michael. who says, is abandoning with right effort Does this mean staying away from environments and situations that produce discontentedness?
1: Um, No. What that would be would be aversion. If there's certain people or certain environments that you know your mind becomes discontent if you go into that environment or those certain people, then that means that there is craving, desire, attachment there. And if you just avoid those things and push it away, that's aversion and what you're trying to do is you're trying to push all these things out of your life and you're trying to create this perfect bubble that you feel is peaceful calm serene and content with joy but as soon as somebody comes into your bubble your bubble bursts, and now the mind becomes discontent because you haven't solved the real problem what the unenlightened mind does is it thinks this person or this situation is the problem and it pushes it away that's the aversion and it's trying to create this perfect bubble That the mind can operate within peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But that perfect bubble isn't going to exist all the time because of impermanence. So as soon as somebody else shows up, as soon as that situation changes to that's not your liking, now the mind's discontent again because you haven't solved the real problem, which is your mind has craving, desire, attachment. So you have control over your mind if you train it but you don't have control over the environment and the people that are in it. So that's why you have to train your mind, not train the other people. So if you're noticing a certain environment or situation or certain people, when you're around those things, that there is discontentedness, then you have to look inward, find out what the craving is, find out the desire attachment, find out where that mental longing, strong eagerness, what's the mind want, what does it expect, And then when you identify those two, three, four things through analysis of the mind, now you actively work through right effort to eliminate and abandon those unwholesome qualities, those cravings, desire attachments, and cultivate the wholesome qualities because now you're solving the real problem. Because for example, if let's use Bill's example of being in an environment where somebody doesn't like kids. If you're always around only people who like kids and your mind craves people who like kids and love kids, when you're ever you're around someone who doesn't like kids, you're going to be discontent because you can't permanently be around people who always adore kids. So rather than just surround yourself with people who always adore kids, which is impossible because that's permanent, you've got to train your mind to understand that there are some people in the world that don't like kids. There's people that hate kids in this world. There's people that murder kids in this world. There's people who have sexually abused children and physically and emotionally abused children in this world. That's what exists. We're not going to change that overnight, but we can change our mind to just understand that these things exist and that if we continue to fret about it and have this desire, this longing and strong eagerness, then our mind's never going to be content. It's never going to be peaceful with joy. So we've got to train our mind, not push everyone away, but we need to train our mind to be satisfied with what is. And that's through eliminating craving, desire, attachment. Michael also
2: asks, if expectations are for the future and us wanting things to be instead of how they really are, then what is for the past? So in other words, if expectations is us wanting things to be a certain way and that's our attachment is wanting to essentially control the future, Mm -hmm. then what's happening when we're doing that for the past, wanting things to be a certain way in the past because it's already happened. So what's going on there? Right,
1: so the mind can have this yearning, this longing and strong eagerness for certain pleasant feelings in the past, certain pleasant things that happened in your past. Like there's sometimes people who become very rich and very wealthy, and then everything crashes on them and they become very discontent and their life kind of circles down because they're yearning for these pleasant feelings of wealth and they just claw and claw and claw and try to get back to where they were rather than just accept where they're at. Or you can have painful things that happened in your past and you can hold on to that hurt, that resentment and that trauma. And that being in the mind from the past can cause discontentedness in this present moment. So that's why what you're doing as part of this training is not holding on to the past, these painful feelings, these pleasant feelings, feelings of neither painful nor pleasant, or relationships in the past that were either pleasant or painful. You gotta let that go because if the mind yearns for that, has longing for that, then it's going to make the present moment discontent. That's why we have to get rid of yearning for the past. You still have memories. You're still going to remember things that happened in the past. But if you hold on to it, then it's going to cause pain and discontentedness in the present moment. Do you
2: think it's a component here, David, of the mind holding on to the past, as a way to try and control the past, obviously, which is futile, but maybe as a way to control what's happening now and stop it from happening in the future. And so in essence, the mind is just getting very, very confused because it hasn't really made sense of the past. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Um, that can happen. Yeah, like for me, when I was a child, I've always felt like I didn't grow up with parents that really appreciated me, that loved me, that took care of me. And once I left my parents' home and started improving my life, there was a rough period there where I was looking back to the past, knowing that all these bad things happened. And the relationship that I was having with my mom at that moment was turbulent and difficult because I was having resentment and hatred and anger for things that happened in the past. So therefore, we couldn't get to a stable relationship where there was peace, calm, serenity, and contentedness with joy because my mind was still stuck in the past and all the things that she had done in the past. But in that moment, my mom was being friendly with me. She was being loving with me. She was being kind with me, but my mind was still hung up on the past. It wasn't until I let that go and put the past in the past that I could then reside in the present moment and see true reality that my mom had moved past all of that and that she had gotten past all of that and she was now treating me nice she was treating me well and by the time she ultimately died a few years ago you know we had a fine relationship we were just fine and, and very loving and i had the same thing with my sister i always felt like my sister did a lot of horrible things to me and she never said sorry to me for those things and i was just craving for her to say sorry and Tell me how wrong she was about the things that she did. Well, she never did that. And if I would have maintained that desire, if I would have maintained the craving, desire, attachment, the longing with a strong ear to hear my sister admit that she was wrong and that she was sorry for the things she did, then my mind would have still been discontent. So I had to let those things go and say, you know what? She may never see that she was wrong. She may never say that she's sorry. And that's okay. I'm just going to let it be, it's in the past, and I'm just going to focus on this moment, being loving, kind, compassionate, friendly, respectful to her as a person, and just let the past be the past.
0: Got it.
2: Okay. Thank you very much, David. We have no more questions at this time.
1: Okay. So hopefully what you guys got out of this discussion is the understanding of what craving, desire, attachment is, The fact that it's a primary problem that's going to cause discontentedness. There's umpteen number of craving, desires, attachments in an unenlightened mind. It's like a ball of twine that is just so bound up and it's bound up really, 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 really tightly. And as you're meditating and as you're practicing generosity, that general teaching to kind of chip away at this, you're kind of like unraveling this string. And then what can happen is as you're unraveling it, you start seeing more and more layers to this craving-desire attachment. So like Bill was saying, you could potentially sit down and list out a lot of your craving-desire attachments now. And that can be very helpful for you in your life and in your practice. But as you unravel this string with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity and through your daily practice, you might start uncovering and you will uncover other craving, desire attachments that you don't see right now. And you may need your help from your teacher to actually help you uncover that stuff. This is one of the reasons why sometimes when people meditate, they actually go into meditation pretty peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But by the time they come out of meditation, they can be angry or fearful or feel guilty because they're starting to unravel this mind. And as they do unravel the string, some of those craving-desire attachments get plucked and discontentedness comes to the surface. So when you see that discontentedness, it's the red light. It's the dashboard telling you something's wrong here. Reflect. And as Max was saying, when you see that headache and when you experience the headache, go ahead and solve the headache so you don't feel the pain. But you got to solve the deeper problem, the craving-desire attachment. Don't just take the medicine and be off to the next thing. Sit down and reflect. Did I have enough food? Did I have enough sleep? Is there something the mind's yearning for? Am I trying to force something on somebody? You know, what is it that's causing this in the mind? And that's what this discontentedness is there for. Whether it's painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant, all three of these discontent feelings are a red light going off on the dashboard saying something's wrong. Even that happiness, even the excitement, even the elation. And it's sometimes tough for people to hear that, yeah, you're gonna get rid of that stuff, but there's gonna be plenty of joy, but it's just not gonna be based on any condition. Enlightened mind is just gonna be permanently joyful without any condition. There's just an inward joy that never goes away. You have access to a smile so easily. And you can find joy in just about anything that the mind is never discontent. So look at those happy, excited, and elated feelings too. And when you feel the mind moving in that direction, bring it back to the middle, which is with right effort. So your meditation, your breathing mindfulness meditation is developing your mindfulness, awareness of mind. It's developing the ability to let go and focus on the breath. So that way in daily life, you have that awareness of mind and you can let go. You can let go. You can let go easier. And the more that you train the mind to do that, eventually you'll have eliminated all of these craving, desires, attachments, whether it's in this life or some future life, and you will see that the mind will be perfectly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it no longer experiences discontentedness. But the way to do that is to identify your attachments, cultivate non-clinging, cultivate non-attachment, eliminate craving-desire attachments. And the way that you do that is through analysis of the mind. Sit back, reflect, look at the mind and see what is the longing with strong eagerness or the multiple longing and strong eagerness that is causing the mind To be discontent. When you see that red light, don't ignore it. Sit down with it and investigate it. That's the way to chip away at these craving, desire, attachments and move the mind closer and closer to the enlightened mental state. On Wednesday at nine o'clock Thai time, we're going to be doing chanting. I'm going to share with you guys Buddhist chanting and help you guys learn how to do this to enhance your meditation practice chanting is very beneficial for that upper part of the eightfold path the mental discipline right effort right mindfulness and right concentration and it will help ease the mind into meditation so we're going to be doing chanting and we'll probably do another group activity there where you guys can get some personal guidance and help on your chanting if that's something you've been practicing and you would like to get some help If you've never attended one of those classes, definitely attend that and see if learning chanting can be very helpful for you. And then on Sunday next week, we're going to be doing chapter 13, which is cultivating healthy mental states, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. This is the Brahma Viharas. It's another short chapter to read, but... It's very, very important to cultivate these four mental states that are important to improve the condition of the mind and train it in the direction of enlightenment. We're going to talk about what these four mental states are and help you understand how they remedy specific problems in the mind. So that's what we're going to be doing on Wednesday and then on Sunday. If you haven't seen the post that I made in our Facebook group about the upcoming program that's going to be starting in two and a half months from now, be sure to take a look in the Facebook group. There's a new program. Now that you're progressing in this group learning program, you can graduate and move into, which is called the Words of the Buddha Pali Canon in English Study Group. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking these books that are condensed versions of the Pali Canon, and we're going to be studying these in that program. So This group learning program, using the book Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, is kind of like a bachelor's or master's degree in the Buddhist teachings and moving you and progressing you on this path to enlightenment. But once you've learned that for either six months or 12 months, or you feel pretty confident, maybe you've gone through this program, maybe you've been studying it on your own with the videos or podcasts or things like that. The next step is to get your PhD. The PhD is to learn the Buddhist teachings directly from his words. The Pali Canon is the original source text of the Buddhist teachings, and it's been largely translated into English by some really good translators. And we're going to be exploring this starting in January, January 9th to be exact. On Saturdays at nine o'clock Thai time, there's gonna be a third class that we're gonna be offering where you can be learning the Polycanon. All the details are online, so you're gonna need to find that post and click on it so you can get the details. You're always welcome to private message me and I'll send you the link directly, but it should be in the Facebook group and you'll see it there and you can register. Of course, just like everything else, it's offered openly and freely There's no price that you need to pay to join this program. You can join it and there's no requirement or expectation from me on what you need to do in order to join that. You will need to get a version of these books and I'm working on trying to get some PDFs of these, but I don't know that I'm gonna be successful in getting those in time for the class. So what people are doing is ordering these books and I'm shipping them to you from here in Thailand But it's a very good benefit that you're going to be interested to have. And so take a look at that link and anybody who's participating in this program, you would be ideal to move into that program after this. And if you want to repeat this program again to continue forward, you can actually be doing this on Sunday and Wednesday and then doing the Polycanon and English program on Saturdays. The reading for this is going to take you about an hour a week, and then the class is going to be on Saturdays at nine o'clock Thai time. So whatever time that is for you. So we'll mention that as we get closer to the end of this program, this program is going to end on January 27th, but the Poly Canon in English program is going to start on January 9th. So there's a little bit of overlap there. And this PolyCannon and English program, you can actually start it at any time. So if you miss the January 9th start date, you can actually join in February or March or April. It's kind of like a rolling schedule where this program, there's kind of a beginning, middle, and end. But with the Polycanon and English program, you can really join at any time. So there'll be more information on that coming out as we get going here, but I just wanted to draw your attention to that post that you can take a look at it and it may be something that you would like to register for because it's going to be a really great way to progress and continue your practice into learning the teachings directly from the words of the Buddha. So between now and Wednesday or next Sunday, whenever you choose to join, have a wonderful rest of your week. Remember, meditate, meditate, meditate. Treat everybody really, really well, polite, kind, friendly, respectful. That's going to produce nothing but benefit for you. And I'll see you at our next class.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com